بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Inshallah, we will pick up from where we left off last week. Last week, we spoke about the marriage of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Khadija bint Khuwaylid radiyallahu anha. And this was a blessed marriage. And it was a beautiful marriage that we still take lessons from today. Any couple who wants to know how to live a happily married life should look at the marriage between Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Khadija radiallahu anha. There are no accounts at all during the 25 years that they were married. There are no accounts at all of any type of arguments that they had or any type of dispute or any type of fighting. No account whatsoever. So they had a very, very beautiful married life where they both respected each other and they showed each other mutual love and compassion as husbands and wives should do. So it was a beautiful marriage. And Khadija radiallahu anha, she has a special place even amongst the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And all of them, all of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam are ummahatul mu'mineen. They are our mothers. They are the mothers of the believers. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has declared them as such. The Prophet is closer to the believers than themselves. And his wives are their mothers. So all of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are our mothers. And they all deserve our honor and our respect. But even amongst the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, Khadija anha, she has a special standing. She has a special standing. She was the first wife of Rasulullah ﷺ. He was married to her for the longest time, for longer than he was married to any of his other wives. While he was married to her, he didn't marry any other woman. During the time he was married to her, she was his only wife. And these are blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Khadija radiallahu anha. And even after she passed away, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi was very sad upon her passing. And even after she passed away, he continued to honor her. And he continued to show his love for her by making sure that he kept in contact with her friends. Whenever he would sacrifice a sheep, he would make sure that some portion of that meat, it goes to the friends of Khadija radiallahu anha. This is how he remembered her even after she had passed away. One time, the sister of Khadija radiallahu anha, her name was Hala bint Khuwaylid. And the way that she would ask permission to enter the home, was similar to the way of Khadija radiallahu anha. You know how sometimes siblings, they have a similar way of speaking and a similar way of doing things. So Hala bint Khuwaylid had a similar way of asking permission to enter the home as Khadija radiallahu anha used to have. 
So one time Halah bin Khuwaylid came to the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this was much later, a long time after Khadija radiallahu anha had passed away. And the Prophet sallallahu was in Medina now. And he was with Aisha at this time. And Halah bint Khuwaylid, the sister of Khadija radiallahu anha, she came to the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and asked for permission to enter the house. And the way that she asked for this permission, it reminded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa of Khadija, of Khadija radiallahu anha. So when he heard it, when he heard her, he said, Allahumma hala, Allahumma hala. Oh Allah, let it be hala, let it be hala. He wanted it to be the sister of Khadija radiallahu anha. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she's witnessing this happening. And she felt a little jealous. And it, of course it's natural. This jealousy is natural and it's nothing to be blamed about. So she felt this jealousy. And she said to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, why do you constantly remember this old woman when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has replaced her with someone who is better than her? She's talking about herself. And the Prophet ﷺ, upon hearing this, his face changed. His face changed. And he said, Wallahi, ma abdalani Allahu khayram minha. I swear by Allah that Allah did not replace her with better than her. Amanat bi hina kafaran nas. She believed in me when the people they disbelieved. Wasaddaqatni. And she believed in my truthfulness when the people were calling me a liar. And she supported me with her wealth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me children through her, unlike the other wives, unlike the other wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is the position of Khadija radiallahu anha with the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And as he mentioned, she is the only wife that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided children to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through her. Later on, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also had a son Ibrahim from Maria al-Qibtiyah. But Khadija radiallahu anha was the mother of six of his children. He had two sons and four daughters with Khadija radiallahu anha. <coughs> his son, his first son, his name was Al-Qasim. And that is where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gets his kunya, his title Abu Al-Qasim, the father of Al-Qasim because his first son was named Al-Qasim. And the Prophet said that we can name our children with his name, meaning you can name your child Muhammad. You can take the name Muhammad, <coughs> but do not take the kunya of Rasulullah Do not call yourself Abu Al-Qasim. You can name your son Qasim, no problem. But you don't take the kunya Abu Al-Qasim. This is reserved for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When you say Abu Al-Qasim, it means Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we can call ourselves Muhammad. We can name ourselves or our children Muhammad. That's fine. 
but you do not take the kunya of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You do not call yourself Abu Qasim. This is restricted for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So his first son, that was Al Qasim. Then he had another son with Khadija radhiyallahu anha, and his name was Abdullah. And Abdullah also had some nicknames. He was also known as Al Tayyib and Al Tahir. His nicknames were Al Tayyib and Al Tahir. Al Tayyib means the good one. And At-Tahir, it means the pure one. And some people, they make the mistake. They say Rasulullah his sons were Al-Qasim and Abdullah and At-Tayyib and At-Tahir. No, this is not correct. Abdullah was At-Tayyib. Abdullah was At-Tahir. These were just nicknames. So it was Al-Qasim and Abdullah. These were his two sons with Khadija. anha. And he had four daughters as well through that marriage. And those daughters were Ruqayyah and Zainab and Umm Kulthum and Fatima radiallahu anhunna. Four daughters of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ruqayyah, Zainab, Umm Kulthum and Fatima radiallahu anhunna. Six children through this marriage. A blessed marriage. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Many men have achieved kamal, have achieved perfection. And of course, he's talking about the prophets of Allah. But out of the women, only four women achieved perfection. And of course, these four women who achieved perfection, they're not prophets because all of the prophets are men. But these four women reached a station unlike any other woman. There were many men who reached a station of perfection, but only four women. And he mentioned who these four women were. Asiya, Zawja to Fir'aun. Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun. Maryam bint Imran. Maryam, the daughter of Imran. That's the mother of Isa bin Maryam. And Khadija bint Khuwaylid. Radiallahu anha. And... Fatima bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These are the only four women who have reached the station of perfection. Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun. Maryam, the daughter of Imran, the mother of Isa alayhi salam. Khadija bint Khuwaylid. And Fatima bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this again shows the status of Khadija radiallahu anha with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and with Allah that she has a high position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So this was the state of the marriage of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Khadija radiallahu anha. By all means, a perfect marriage, a perfect marriage. And into this marriage, about 10 years into the marriage, and we said last week that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was 25 and Khadija radiallahu anha, she was 40 at the time of this marriage. About 10 years into the marriage, when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was 35 years old. So this is just a few years before he's going to receive the first revelation. He received the first revelation. اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم He received that revelation when he was 40 years old. So about five years before that, when he was 35 years old, a very important incident happened in the history of Mecca. 
This was the year that the Quraysh decided to rebuild the structure of the Kaaba. This is when Rasulullah is about 35 years old. The leaders of the Quraysh, they get together and they decide we need to rebuild the structure of the Kaaba. Why did they decide to rebuild the structure of the Kaaba? It had become very weak and they feared that it was so weak the structure that it may fall down. That's how weak the structure had become. Why did it become weak like that? <coughs> Most of the historians say that it was due to a major flood that hit Mecca. A big flood hit Mecca. And Mecca is a valley. Mecca is a valley. It's a low point that is surrounded by mountains. So whenever there's a big storm or whenever there's heavy rain, the rain water collects in Mecca. So there have been many incidents in history where Mecca has gotten flooded. Mecca has actually gotten flooded many times in history. And the last major flood that happened in Mecca was in the year 1941. And there are some pictures actually of the Kaaba and of the Haram during this flood that you can see. And the Mataf, the area of Tawaf, it is completely immersed with water. And the water is not just, you know, not just at your feet level, but it's at a very high level. To such the extent that people were doing tawaf swimming. And you can see it in pictures. Go and Google uh, Mecca flood 1941 and you will see pictures of the Kaaba and around it, water is surrounding it and people are swimming doing tawaf. So this just happened very relatively recently, you know, within the last century. So from time to time when there's heavy rain, Mecca would become flooded. So most of the historians say that this happened during that time of the Quraysh. And the structure of the Kaaba was not very strong at that time to begin with. So when this rain hit, it damaged the structure such to the extent that it was feared that it may fall down and collapse at any time. So this is what most of the historians say was the reason why this is the reason why most of the historians say that Quraysh decided to rebuild the Kaaba. There is another opinion that some of the historians have that there was a woman who used to go around the Kaaba with uh, scent, with Bukhur. And you know the Bukhur, right? Sometimes Brother Muhammad, he comes in the masjid with the Bukhur. Uh, it's, it's lighted on some coals, right? So if that thing falls down or if it, if it hits something, it can be flammable. So some of the historians say that what happened is that the woman, she was going around the Kaaba with the Bukhur to make the area smell good and fragrant. And uh, something happened, an accident happened that caused the kiswa of the Kaaba, the covering, the cloth covering of the Kaaba to catch on fire. And the fire spread and it actually uh, damaged the structure of the Kaaba itself to such an extent that it was almost ready to collapse. Anyhow, whatever the reason is, whether it was the flood or whether it was the fire, the point is that the Quraysh realized that it's very important and very urgent that they need to rebuild the Kaaba before it actually collapses and before it falls down. But there were some problems. <coughs> One of the problems was that the Kaaba was built with bricks of stone. The Kaaba was built with stone. 
And the Quraysh, their houses and their buildings that they had experience with building, it was built out of mud, mud and clay. So they didn't really have experience in construction with stone. It's a different type of construction. Constructing with mud bricks and construct, constructing with stone bricks, it's a totally different type of work. So when Ibrahim السلام, and Ismail السلام, when they built the Kaaba, they built it with bricks of stone. So the Quraysh, they didn't have experience with this. So that was one issue. Another issue was that they needed to raise enough money to complete this project. So how were they going to get the money to rebuild the Kaaba? So these were a couple of the issues. Also, they wanted to build a ceiling for the Kaaba out of wood. And they didn't have experience in building with wood either. So these were some of the issues that they needed to solve before they could actually embark on the rebuilding. So they discussed these issues and they discussed what to do about it. And during this time, while they were still in these discussions, a ship came to the port of Jidda. And Jidda is not very far away from Mecca. It's about 70 kilometers away from Mecca. And Jidda is a port city where the ships come in. So a ship came into Jidda and that ship beached on the, on the port and it was destroyed. And that ship was built out of wood. So the ship was beyond repair. When it beached up on the shore, they couldn't repair it. So they decided to just sell the wood. They decided to go and sell the wood. So they came with that wood into Mecca, trying to sell it. And the Quraysh said, oh, we need the wood. We need to build the ceiling uh, for the Kaaba with wood. So they, they saw this as a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look, Allah is making things easy for us. He is providing this wood for us and we need it. Another sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was making this project easy for them was that, as we mentioned before, the slave trade was a very common thing going on during this era. And people would constantly come into Mecca with slaves and try to sell those slaves to the people of Mecca. This was a very common occurrence. So slaves used to go back and forth. So during this time when the Quraysh were contemplating how to rebuild the Kaaba, some slave traders came into Mecca with a slave, a Roman slave. And what was the occupation and the experience of this slave? He happened to be a construction worker whose expertise was in stone bricks. So they said, oh, look, this is something we don't know how to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought this man to us to help us with this project. So they saw this as signs. The wood has come to us. The experience has come to us. So we should go on with this project and we should now start to gather the funds to take care of this project. So they thought to themselves and they discussed among themselves, the, the leaders of the Quraysh, how are we going to finance this? This is not going to be cheap. So they decided to open the doors for donations. They decided to allow the public and the common people to donate for this worthy, honorable project. But they made some very, very strict conditions on who could donate. They weren't just going to open this up for anyone. They said the Kaaba, this is the house of Allah. This is the most honorable house of Allah. It is pure and 
we will only accept pure money to rebuild it. It has to be 100% clean, the money. So they told the people of Mecca, yes, we're opening it up for donations. If you want to participate in this project, that's great. But the money has to be 100% clean. So they said no money from prostitution. And prostitution was a business in Mecca at that time. There were people who used to have uh, women slaves and they used to, uh, you know, rent those slaves out for prostitution. So that was a practice in Mecca during that time. And they used to earn a lot of money by doing that. So these leaders of the Quraysh say, said, anyone who is earning money through this prostitution, we will not take anything from them. Anyone who deals with interest, we're not going to take any money from them. See, look, even in the Jahiliyyah, they knew that interest money is something that is impure. This was before Islam, but they knew that this is something that is dirty, interest money. So they said anyone who deals with interest, we're not taking any money from them. So any type of impure money, basically they said we're not accepting it. And they opened the door for pure, clean donations. So what happens in the end? Through this exercise and through these conditions, the leaders of the Quraysh, they realized that most of the money of the businessmen of Mecca is dirty money because they only are able to raise a very small amount. They didn't raise much money at all because of these conditions. So they realized, wow, man, most of the business of these people, it's, it's a very dirty business. Their money is not clean. So this truth came to light due to this. So they collected a small amount of money, not enough for them to do the project fully. So now they realize that they're going to have a lot of expenses. You know, they're going to have to pay for the materials. They're going to have to pay for the labor. They're going to have to pay a lot of money. And they knew that what they had collected from the people was not enough. So again, they consult amongst themselves. And they say, okay, we only have two options here. Either we can cancel those conditions and allow for any type of money to come in and take their dirty money and do the project with that. Or we can rebuild the Kaaba with the money that we have, but it's not going to be the same size. We're going to have to make it a little bit smaller in terms of the, the surface area. We're going to have to make it smaller because we don't have enough money to build it on the same surface. So they said, okay, what should we do? Either take the dirty money and do a full job or keep this clean money that we have and do a job that will not be complete. We'll not be able to build it the same way that it is. So they decided to keep the clean money because the Kaaba is too honorable to take dirty money for any work regarding it. So they said, we'll keep the clean money and we'll do whatever we can and we will make the Kaaba, we'll build it on a smaller surface area than it is on now. So that is the decision that they took. All right. So what is the first step now that they have decided that they are going to actually go through with the project? The first step is that they need to break down the Kaaba. They can't rebuild it unless they break it down. Imagine a building that's about to collapse. Can you just repair it? No. You have to demolish it and then you have to rebuild it again. So this was the first step that they needed to take. So they got their tools ready, they got their axes, all these big leaders of the Quraysh. 
and they go to the wall of the Kaaba with their axes and then they start saying to each other okay you start so then the, the other guy says no 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 you start no 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 you start so each one of them is too scared to start breaking the Kaaba and they want the other one to do it you do it no you do it no you do it and it keeps going on like this each one of them is scared they're terrified to take their axe to the Kaaba and why is that we said this happened when Rasulullah was 35 years old. So what happened 35 years earlier when Rasul, the year Rasulullah was born and many of these people who are here on this day, on that day that they were deciding to rebuild the Kaaba, many of those leaders of the Quraysh, they witnessed, they were old enough to witness what happened 35 years ago. They saw it with their own eyes. The incident of Abraha when Abraha came and tried to destroy the Kaaba. So these leaders of the Quraysh, many of them who witnessed with their own eyes what happened in this same place 35 years ago, they're scared now to bring their axe to the wall of the Kaaba. So each one of them is trying to get the other one to start. And nobody wants to do it. Finally, Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. He's one of the leaders of the Quraysh. And he is the father of Khalid ibn al-Walid. So al-Walid says, look, Abraha's intention was to actually destroy the Kaaba. That's not what we're doing here. Our intention is not to destroy the house of Allah. Our intention is actually good. We want to rebuild it and make it strong so it doesn't fall down. So you can't compare what we're doing to what Abraha did. So al-Walid, he tries to reason with them. And they're very happy actually. They said, okay, okay, you do it, then you do it. You go ahead and start. So Al-Walid says, okay, okay, no problem, I will start. And then before he starts, he says, Ya Allah, you know that our intention here is not to do anything bad. It's not to destroy your house. Our intention is good that we want to rebuild it stronger. And then he starts, he hits it with his axe. And that is the side of the Kaaba between Ar-Ruknul Yamani and Al-Hajar Al-Aswad. Between the Yemeni corner and the black stone, that wall of the Kaaba, that is where Al-Walid takes his axe and he starts to break it. And he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it and it starts crumbling down. <coughs> then he tells the people, okay, I started. Now, come on, you guys join me. They said, no, no, no. First, we have to wait to see if anything happens to you. If anything bad happens to you, then if nothing bad happens, then we will join you. You, you continue, you go ahead. So Al-Walid, he continues to do it, do it, do it himself. The first day, only Al-Walid is the only one who's doing it. Nobody helps him. They're just sitting watching. Then the next day, Al-Walid comes back with his sons too, to help him. And they start doing it again. This is the second day. Nothing has happened to Al-Walid. He's fine. The Quraysh realized this. They said, okay, it seems safe. And they all start to help doing that as well. And that's how all of the Quraysh now started to bring down this uh, weak construction or this weak structure of the Kaaba. So finally, they break it all down. <coughs> now, they need to dig the earth for the foundation. They want to rebuild the foundation as well to make the foundation strong. So they dig <coughs> and they dig and they dig and they dig. They dig very deep until they see some green stones a number of green colored stones and it is said that these green stones this is the foundation of 
Ibrahim alayhi salam. That is the foundation where Ibrahim alayhi salam started his construction of the Kaaba. So they dig all the way to these green stones. And when they reach these green stones, they say, okay, let's dig even deeper than the green stones. So we'll make the foundation even stronger. We'll go even more deep than those green stones. So one of them, one of the people who was digging, he has an axe and he puts his axe under one of those green stones and then he propels it up, you know, to get the stone out so they can continue digging. So once he does this, once he puts his axe under that green stone and pulls it up, a, a blinding light comes out, a light that is so bright that it almost blinded him. So he's taken aback with the brightness of this light and he drops his axe and the stone, it falls back into its place. And some of the narrations of some of the historians also mention that when he actually moved that stone with his axe, the whole Makkah, it shook. So when they realized this, when they saw this happening, they said, okay, just leave it. We're not going to dig deeper than this. Let us leave it at this foundation. So they kept the same foundation on those green stones and they started to rebuild the Kaaba. Like we mentioned, the amount of money they had was not enough for them to make the Kaaba on the same surface area as it was. And how was the Kaaba before? The Kaaba was four sides. It is still four sides. At that time, it was four sides. Uh, three sides had straight walls. Now, if you see the Kaaba today, all four sides have straight walls. It's like a cube shape. But at that time, three sides had straight walls. But one side had a curved wall. So it was one structure with three straight walls and then one curved wall. One wall that made a shape like a semi-circle. But it was all one building. So they realized that they're not going to be able to do that. So they made, instead they made a cube with three of the walls on the same area. But then they cut off the last wall that was a, that was a circular wall and they actually uh, closed it off and made it into a straight wall. And the area that originally was encompassed by the curved wall, they put uh, they put like an arch, like a semicircle there, so that you know that this originally was part of the Kaaba. This was actually the fourth wall of the Kaaba around here. So they, they demarked that place to make sure that it was known that this was the original structure. And it is still like that today. When you go to the Kaaba today, you see that the Kaaba is a square structure, but on one side you see that semicircle. And that is called uh, Hijr Ismail. And that is actually originally, that was part of the Kaaba. The, the whole building, the structure of the Kaaba actually encompassed that whole area. But because they didn't have the funds to complete that, the Kaaba is as you see it today. And they kept that area there to demark it so that the people know that this originally actually, this is part of the Kaaba as well. So that's why it's very important. If you go for Umrah or if you go for Hajj or if you want to do Tawaf, you have to make sure that you go around that semicircle. Don't make the mistake and circumambulate only around the cube. Don't try to cut in to that area between the semicircle and the cube. Don't try to cut into that area and make tawaf only around the cube. If you do that, your tawaf is not valid because that is not the original structure, the original surface area of the Kaaba. You have to go completely around the semicircle as well. 
So that was one of the, the changes in the construction they had to make because of lack of funds. Another change that they made is regarding the door of the Kaaba. If you go to the Kaaba today, you will see that it has one door. Those days, it used to have two doors. One door on the side where you see it today and one door on the opposite side. One door where you see it today and one door was on the opposite side as well. And the people used to go in through one door and go out through the other door. This was the common practice of the people. Go in through the door that we have today and go out through the door that was on the opposite side. So they said, okay, we're not going to make the second door. We're not going to make the second door. We'll just make the first door. And another thing that they decided to do is to elevate that door. In those days, the door of the Kaaba was on the ground level. But they decided, no, we're not going to make it on the ground level. We're going to elevate it. We're going to make it up. And the reason why they decided to do this was so that they could control who goes in the Kaaba. They didn't want just anyone going inside the Kaaba. They said, we're going to control who goes in the Kaaba and who doesn't get to go in the Kaaba. So we're going to elevate that door. So these were some of the changes that they made. One door elevated the door and uh, the surface area of the Kaaba was uh, shortened and it was made into a cube shape instead of three sides straight and one side semicircle. And the Prophet wasallam. He had seen the Kaaba how it was before because this happened when he was 35 years old. So he knows how the Kaaba was before that as well. So he said later on when he became powerful and after the, the conquest of Mecca, when the Prophet ﷺ had control of Mecca, he could have ordered for it to be rebuilt as it was before. But he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, he said, if it weren't for the fact that your people are new to Islam, Many of those people of the Quraysh, they just accepted Islam after the Fath of Mecca, after the Prophet ﷺ came into Mecca victorious and the conquest of, of Mecca was complete. Many of those people of Mecca who were not Muslims before, they were the staunchest enemies of Rasulullah before they became Muslim after that conquest of Mecca. And they were new Muslims. And the Prophet ﷺ wanted the Iman to become stronger in their hearts. So he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, if it wasn't for the fact that your people, meaning the Quraysh, if it wasn't for the fact that they are new to Islam, I would have rebuilt the Kaaba again as it was on the foundations of Ibrahim alayhi salam the way that it was before. But he decided not to do that. And this shows the hikmah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the wisdom. He decided not to do that because he thought that it would cause fitna with the people. The Arabs, they're used to the Kaaba the way that it is now. If we change it, even though we're changing it actually back to the original form, if we change it, they may think that, oh, what is this? He changed the Kaaba. And they're new Muslims. So he saw from his wisdom that it was better not to do this. And this, again, shows the intelligence and the wisdom of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It also happened later on in history. During the time of Abdullah ibn Zubair, when Abdullah ibn Zubair was fighting Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, and Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was striking at Abdullah ibn Zubair in Mecca with catapults. During that time, Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he damaged the Kaaba. 
with his attacks on Abdullah ibn Zubair, the Kaaba was hit in the crossfire and the Kaaba was damaged. So, <coughs> so Abdullah ibn Zubair, he rebuilt the Kaaba as it originally was. He rebuilt it with the semicircle portion included in the building. And he made two doors. And he made the door low instead of keeping it elevated. So basically, he rebuilt it to the way that it was before the Quraysh rebuilt it. He built it, rebuilt it in that way. So it was restored to its original way at one point in history. And then when Al-Hajjaj got the upper hand and he got control of Makkah, he said, look what Abdullah ibn Zubair did. He played around with the house of Allah and he messed up the Kaaba. And Al-Hajjaj ordered for it to be made back to the way it was, the way the Quraysh made it. So it went back to that form again, the form that it is in today. Al-Hajjaj did that. Then when the Khalifa of the Muslims, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, when he heard about this, he said, no, no, what Al-Hajjaj did was wrong and what uh, Abdullah bin Zubair did was right. So he said, I'm going to make it back to that way again. And then Imam Malik, rahimahullah, the great Imam, Imam Malik ibn Anas, he told Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he told the leader, he said, please don't do it. Leave it. Leave it how it is. And then Abdul Malik asked Imam Malik, he said, but, but isn't the way that Abdullah ibn Zubair, how he rebuilt it, isn't that how it originally was? Isn't that the right way? And Imam Malik said, yes, that is the right way. But we cannot make the Kaaba like a toy in the hands of the rulers. This ruler decides to do this, and then this ruler decides to do that, and then this ruler decides to do that. We cannot make a Kaaba a toy in the hands of the rulers. Just leave it how it is and don't touch it. This was the hikmah of Imam Malik. Rahimahullah. So Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he listened to this advice and he left it as it is and it is still that way today. The Saudi government, if they want to, they have enough money to rebuild it as it was before. They could do it, but they don't do it because of this reason. Because the Kaaba cannot be like a toy which, with every ruler doing what he wants with it. So this is the way it is and this is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for it to be. So this is the history of the rebuilding of the Kaaba. So once they finished the rebuilding, once they finished that rebuilding, there was one last step that needed to be made. And that was placing Al-Hajar Al-Aswad, placing the black stone back into its corner, back into its place. This is a great honor. Who's going to do this? We have many sub-tribes of the Quraysh. Banu Abdiddar, Banu Makhzum. So many different tribes. Each one wants to have this honor for themselves. So they, they start fighting over it. Like who's going to get this honor? Who's going to do it? And it reached to such an extent where Banu Abdiddar, they took a jug of blood and each one of them put their hands into the blood. Each member of that tribe, they put their hands in that blood. And they said, we swear we swear that we are going to be the ones who put that stone in its place. And when Banu Makhzum saw what Banu Abdiddar were doing, they said, okay, we can do that too. They got their own vessel of blood and they put their hands in the blood and they said, we swear it will be someone from us, from our tribe, who is going to put that stone where it is. So this is how much they regarded that being a great honor for them to put that stone in its place. So the fitna became very intense. And they were ready to fight about it. And then one wise old man, 
and his name was Abu Umayyah ibn al-Mughira. He said, look, why don't we just appoint someone to do it? We will just appoint someone to do it. And everyone can agree who that person is going to be. We select one person and he'll go ahead and do it on behalf of all of us. And this was a wise old man and out of respect for him, they said, okay, okay, we will agree to, to your way of getting out of this dilemma. So then they thought to themselves and they started speaking amongst themselves. Okay, who should we select? Who should do it? Hmm. So then they decided, okay, we agree that the first person who comes in through Bab Bani Shaiba, the gate of Bani Shaiba. And there were many gates of the Kaaba that people used to come in. Many gates around the Kaaba where people used to enter the Haram. So they agreed amongst themselves. The first man who walks in through Bab Bani Shaiba, through the gate of Bani Shaiba, he is the one who gets to do it. So they waited, waited, looking at that gate, waiting for someone to come in. And finally, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam walks through that gate. And when he walks in, everyone is so happy. They say, As-Sadiqul Ameen, As-Sadiqul Ameen, Radina, Radina. The truthful one, the trustworthy one, the truthful one, the trustworthy one. We're happy with this. We're happy. Yes, he is the one who's going to do it. So everyone was happy because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam had this reputation. Everybody loved him, everybody respected him, everybody honored him. And everyone knew how honorable and truthful and trustworthy he was. So they were very happy that he is the one who came through that gate. So he comes in and he takes a cloth and he puts the Hajar al-Aswad on that cloth. And then he tells the leaders of these different sub-tribes of the Quraysh, someone from Banu Makhzum, someone from Banu Abduddar, all of them, you hold a piece of that cloth where the, <coughs> where the stone is in the middle. So each one of them, they hold around that cloth and they walk towards the corner of the Kaaba where the stone is supposed to be placed. So all of them are participating here. Nobody is left out. All of them are participating. And then when they get near the corner, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam with his blessed hand, he takes the stone and puts it in its place. This again shows the wisdom and the intelligence of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how he diffused such a situation and made everyone happy. They all participated in this way and Rasulullah sallallahu himself put that stone in its place. So this is the story of the reconstruction of the Kaaba that happened five years before the first revelation came to Rasulullah and this was when he was about 35 years old. Inshallah next week we will talk about some incidents that happened before the revelation started from the age of Rasulullah between 35 and 40. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.